This is the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the show for real estate investors, stock traders, and business owners. We help you keep more of what you earn and protect what you've built. Let's get started. Hey guys, this is Toby Mathis with the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast. And today I got a very interesting topic that I, I really wanted people to, to pay attention to because I think it's something that's critical in this country and that you're going to learn about and you're going to realize how critical it is and uh, how it's not going away unless we do something about it. And there's lots of opportunities as in all things where there's something that we need to address as a country. There's usually money to be made in it as well as you can always do really good things by helping those folks. So I'm going to introduce Diane Lawson and uh, Jim Richardson. Jim, who's been a client for a long time, Diane, who I've worked with, sit on a board with these two. But I would like to introduce them and let them tell their stories a little bit. Let's do uh, ladies first, Diane. What's your background? What are, we, what are we going to be talking about today? So today we're going to be talking about neurodiverse, uh, inclusive co-housing in Pennsylvania for us specifically, but you know, hopefully eventually across the country. Um, as you mentioned, there is a terrible need. Um, there's many, many people on the spectrum who need housing. I'm involved in this. My son, Matthew, is 27. He actually uh, is on the spectrum. I, it's something I've always thought about since the time he was diagnosed what's going to happen to Matt when when I'm not around anymore. We ran into an issue which kind of made everything very clear, though. Matt and his girlfriend at the time went to apply for housing uh, for an apartment building and um, were turned away, which, again, we all know is definitely uh, discrimination. But, you know, you don't want to get into that fight because what's it going to be? Eventually, he and his girlfriend would live in a in an apartment building where nobody wanted them. So, you know, rather than kind of fight that one singular fight, uh, decided to fight the bigger fight and make this a place where not only Matt and his girlfriend, but many, many millions of young adults like them have a place where they can go and where they can belong. So I met up with Jim and um, Front Porch Co-Housing is, is kind of the story. Yeah. And so this is the, I know you guys use terms neurotypical for folks that are not spectrum and then neuro, is it neurodiverse or what is the term? Uh, it's actually, for? I believe it's neurodivergent is the Not neurodivergent. Yeah. And what you're saying is rather than isolate folks, and I, I'm assuming that a lot of the neurodivergent folks are staying home with mom and dad. Yes. Is that, is that fair? Because that they do get discriminated fair. against. And because a lot of times people are like, Hey, I, I don't want to have my son or daughter at risk. You know, the way, the way, the way it was put to me and I don't want to be insensitive was I am a landlord for an organization that is a nonprofit that does this. And they said, employable, awesome, but may leave the iron on a shirt and burn the house down. Right. That sounds horrible, but they said, or leave, you know, it's like maybe they don't turn off the the stove. You need to have a little bit of a watchful eye. And of course, I, I imagine that's why mom and dad are saying, Hey, stay home with me. Is is that accurate? It is accurate. And you know, quite honestly, as a mom. You want to protect, right? You want to make sure that there is a bubble around your child if your child is five or if your child is 50. And it's it's a bad world out there. So I think whereas there are a lot of uh, young adults who could be on their own, as you mentioned, with the, the supports in place, sometimes the parents aren't as willing to kind of push them in out out into the to the real world. And so, so let me, let me bring Jim into this because Jim, is it the same sort of background? Cause I, you and I know each other for, 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 for quite a while, yeah. but you're, you're in the same, same boat as Diane, right? Yeah. We have, uh, our son, Michael's 28 and, 
Yeah, same thing. Uh, we looked at a wonderful property in a community not far from us, and everything was fine until the the folks that owned it realized that we wanted to uh, put Michael and two other uh, autistic adults in that home. And then, you know, it was like not in my backyard. You don't. And, you know, fair housing is fair housing, but the, the practice of it is a very different thing. The other aspect of this, Toby, that I think bears note is that it's outrageously expensive. The cost of raising a child with autism uh, can run into millions of dollars uh, for their life. And, you know, because housing is not inexpensive, because these individuals don't have the same opportunity at independent living as their neurotypical peers, they do stay at home with mom and dad, often into their 40s, 50s. And I've had parents who've had 60-year-old children and they just haven't planned for it because they don't have the income and they don't know what to do. So there is just a massive amount of, of need today. What happens if something happens to mom and dad then to, the, to, the, to these, these adults? Best case scenario is that there is somebody around who can then take up living with them, right? If there's a family member or sibling or someone. Worst case scenario, you know, if you take it all the way out to the worst case, um, it's, it's homelessness. Yeah, homeless. Yeah, my experience, uh, and I worked at a guardianship firm, not everybody knows my background before I was an attorney, but mental illness, number one reason that there's homelessness, in my personal opinion, but it's not mental illness when you're uh, neurodivergent, right? You would look at that and say just different, and the punishment is perhaps homelessness in a world where there should not, it should not exist. So how big an issue is this? Let's, let, let's give it some context. Is this something where it's, Hey, there's this small little community or is this hundreds of thousands across the country? What, what are the numbers like? It's millions. Um, and, and we're just going to talk about mm-hmm. adults with autism because when you start to go beyond that and you include Down syndrome, you include TBI, you include, I mean, there's probably 10 different diagnoses under the IDD, the Intellectual Developmental Disability Umbrella, which autism is one. It's millions. But when we bring it closer to home for us in Pennsylvania, in 2014, Pennsylvania did a study uh, along with the census. And at that time, they projected that by 2023, there'd be over 38,000 adults in Pennsylvania with autism Living at home with parents and receiving services from the state, 38,000. That's projected to go to 58,000 in two years by 2025 and up to 75,000 by 2030. So think about in one state, in in Pennsylvania, in Pennsylvania. And if you really let's make the math easy. If it was 50,000 adults in Pennsylvania Mm -hmm. and 80 percent of them live at home, and that's the national average, live at home with mom and dad aging parent caregivers like myself, you know, that's 40,000 kids that potentially could be displaced or bounced from family member to family member. And that's really not what any of us want as parents. And then, no, so, Toby, if we, if we break that down a little more, uh, Pennsylvania is a big state. But if we look just at the counties that Diane and I are in, those numbers jump from, you know, in the southeastern Pennsylvania, by 2025, there will be 60,000 adults in southeastern Pennsylvania, which is Philadelphia and the surrounding six suburbs, that 
are autistic and receive services, and 80% of them likely live at home with mom and dad. The numbers are staggering. So you guys have come up with kind of a unique approach to addressing the issue. I got first acquainted with this as a landlord and in Baltimore, and I was leasing. I had larger homes in in one of the uh, syndications that I was working with, larger homes, five bedroom, six bedroom. And I met an organization that would put a caregiver in there. But you guys do it a little differently, right? You're not just doing caregiver. You're actually looking and saying, it's not that different. We just need people. So uh, maybe, Diane, you can give me the, yeah. the thumbnail sketch of what you guys do. That's, that's a unique proposition that, that, that's changing the face of landlording and, and being a, you know, in, in helping address the issue. Yeah. So when I started this, um, before I found Jim and, and from porch, um, I went to a lot of experts because again, as a mom, I wanted my kid behind a gate, you know, completely insulated from everybody that could hurt him. And Mm -hmm. I went to, uh, this great organization in the, uh, Lehigh Valley called center for independent living. And I was talking to the people there and the, Mm -hmm. uh, executive director there said, that is not how you want your child to live, right? That's not a life behind a curtain where nobody, that, that's not a life. That, that's, you know, I don't know what it is, but it's not a life. And mm-hmm. I really kind of took that to heart. And we have started from then when I met uh, Jim and Nancy, we started working together to build that inclusive community. So it's people mm-hmm. with and without a disability living in, um, you know, our first, our first phase is co-living. They're living in a single family home. And the people who are typical, like those, my son's peers, Jim's son's peers, who's ever live together as housemates. It is not, you know, that the, they're not providing care for them other than how any other, you know, if you live together, you know, you, you mm-hmm. become a caring individual, but you are not providing care. And to that point, the individuals that will live in this house don't need extensive care right now either. Yeah. And just to add on to that, uh, about 20 years ago, Pennsylvania had institutional living and it was bad. It was deplorable. And they've since since swung the opposite way. And they really don't want groups of adults with a disability living together. And nor do we as parents, because we want our children to have as normal life Mm -hmm. as possible living with others that can be peer housemates. So I think this concept of neuro-inclusive living is really what families are latching on to. A, they want housing for their, for their loved one, but B, they want them to live with others who are going to support them, care for them, and care about them. And you may already be in a situation, because like, I know that like, there's a, like what they call the spectrum, but there's people that are more affected than others. But it's not uncommon, I imagine, that in college and other things, people are living together anyway. And then as they get older, they realize that maybe it's more substantial and it's causing greater issues. Like like your kids, are, are they working? Are they able to work? Mm-hmm. And things like that. Yeah. And it's just that when a landlord comes across and somebody's doing an application that they're either being discriminated against overtly or maybe subtly, you're just saying, hey, might not be the best candidate. Or in, are you, you guys are, you guys have to be seeing that. Oh, right? yeah. Is that, is that, oh yeah. You, you work. I should just say this. You guys work with a whole bunch of families, and I want to say hundreds of families, children that are in this situation. Is that what they're all experiencing? Is that when they try to get their sons and daughters out into the community that the community rejects them? I wouldn't say the community necessarily. 
but definitely landlords. Landlords. And, I, and so, Toby, <laughs> this is, this, we, we ran into this five years ago. Michael graduated high school and we started looking at, at apartments in and around our home here in, in Doylestown. And th- they would rent to me, even though they would take my money, they didn't want Michael living there by himself, even though he's capable of living 90% independently. They didn't want him there. And that's really why we created this for ourselves. And then we realized we're not the only ones who are facing this. And that just kind of snowballed from there. And the bigger thing is, you know, part of what we're creating is a community. It's a community of people who care about each other. And as we go through this, we're finding, you know, we started it kind of for ourselves and then expanded it out to people with disabilities, other families. But in the real world, and there's been a whole bunch of studies recently that typical people are experiencing an unprecedented amount of loneliness in their own lives. So, you know, it becomes like, well, what does the neurotypical get for living, you know, with our, you know, neurodivergent adults? And it's that sense of community. Everybody needs it. Everybody wants to belong. Are you seeing that? Because imagine as you guys are rolling this out, and I know that you have already a property that you put under contract and you're looking at, at doing this. The people that are the neurotypical, are they like, are they, is it nurses? Is it people that are caregivers anyway? Is it older, older folks that maybe just want to be, they like being social. They don't want to be isolated. What do you see? The most isolated age group right now, uh, according to a 2022 uh, survey, are millennials. So people between the ages of 22 to 40 are the, are reporting unbelievable, uh, unprecedented feelings of loneliness and not belonging. And so your solution is, hey, let's let let's do something that benefits society, and let's have mm-hmm. both neurotypical and neurodivergent living together. Let's facilitate it. Let's help do it. Commendable. And, you know, just to do a quick pump real quick, it's it's front porch co-housing and you're already rolling this out. And so first off, I'm just going to say anybody listening who wants to learn more, go to front horse, uh, front porch co-housing and also look at it from a landlord side. Reach out to to Jim and Diane and say, especially if you're in Pennsylvania, because I I think that's where you guys are looking. And you guys, if you're willing to, I know you guys have a list of people who want to be tenants, like how long is that list right now today? Today it's uh, 147 families in our immediate counties. So not even Southeastern PA in the three counties where we're focused on Lehigh, Northampton and Bucks. We have 147 families that have said we are absolutely looking for what you're willing to provide. And it's just now a matter of we can't do it fast enough, Toby. It's it's one house at a time, right? It took a while coming through COVID to get to this point, but we have our first property under contract. It'll be five bedroom home, beautiful home, 8,000 square feet. And then we're looking to do three more, one more in Lehigh and two in Bucks to satisfy that immediate demand. And then move mm-hmm. to our next phase, which is co-housing, where we actually can, can, can accommodate many more families at one time than you can in a single family home. Now, I know this, that when we do residential assisted living or one of those, that the average cost is so high. Like the average cost of uh, residential assisted living, if you wanted your own room, it's over $5,000 a, a month. Right. What does it cost a family here to work with you guys and put somebody in a in a house where it's, an again, it's neurodiverse, right? So it, it's a combination of both. 
but mom and dad are looking and they say, you know, I, I can't afford $5,000 a month. What would it cost them to work with you guys? Well, the average that we're finding right now for, for this first property would be about $2,400 a month. That's not bad. It's not bad. And, and, but here's the, here's the thing, Toby. Most of those parents, those 140 some parents that we're talking to today, they have not planned for what they refer to as third retirement, right? Most families who have neurotypical children, the kids grow up, the kids go to school, the kids move out, and mom and dad go about their retirement. But for families like ours, where we have our adult children living with us today, we now have the burden of covering those expenses theoretically for the rest of their adult life. So our plan is not only what do we do with them this year, next year, five years, but when mom and dad are gone, we have to have a plan that's going to take them through the end of their life. And that's a really important point. It is. Right? Like, like my, I have two children. One, I, you know, I have her, I don't have to plan for her longevity, right? But I plan to live for another few years and I hope my son makes it to 70. It's a lot of years of planning that needs to happen when I'm not around to help. Yeah. Yeah. And so your organization is helping put this in place. Is the state helping at all? Are there any organizations out there saying, yeah, we know this is a big issue and here we're willing to do donate, you know, to vote funds, insurance, anything. Is there anybody out there helping? No, because we are not a group home. Yeah. We are not so, a residential assisted living. Like, so if we were, that would be a different story, but we are not. So let me go over this, the numbers then. So if, if it's about $2,400, $2,500 a month for uh, a neurodivergent, to, is it the same for the neurotypical? The, is it the same cost or are they paying us a smaller fee? What, what does that look like? We think they're going to pay a smaller cost, Toby. Um, and part of that smaller, smaller cost they'll pay is to help and send them to want to be a peer roommate, a housemate for those individuals. But we also find that moms and dads, especially moms, um, there's a statistic that's pretty sad about the divorce rate for families that have uh, neurodivergent children. Moms are looking to uh, downsize and make that transition with their son or daughter as a roommate until they move on. And then that, you know, would then get rented out to someone else. But we do think it's going to be less. And then, you know, it depends upon the location of the house, size of the house, the amenities. But, you know, for a newer typical, it's going to be in the eighteen to $2,000 a month because these are going to be really nice homes. Yeah. And so if I'm a landlord and I own a house, let's just say that, again, I'm going to use the recovery and the residential assisted living sure. moniker to a certain extent, which we have a ton of success in and which I do personally. So I can actually attest to this. You're usually doing a five-year lease and you don't have to do anything with the house. And they're the best maintained properties because you have people there that are actually taking care of the property on a daily basis. Is that what you guys are doing? You're doing a five-year lease, you're taking it and then you're basically divvying it up and you're in your you're you're putting the families in place and they're coming in and you're just you're just doing that. Exactly. This first property, we've had someone that has offered to buy it for us and lease it to us for five years with an option to renew for five or purchase. Right. So that's exactly go. the model we're going into today. All right. So if you are a investor and you're doing well in your real estate and you're realizing that 
it's not enough just to be a landlord. You want to actually do something that affects society or, you know, I have a lot of folks, again, I, I have recovery housing, residential assisted living, veterans housing, you fill in the blank. Let's add in neurodiverse living into that. And you can reach out and you can learn more about it at Front Porch Co-Housing. Reach out to Jim and Diane. I could talk directly to you guys, right? Yeah. And if that's you and you're willing to lease a property, you know, to this organization so that they can turn around and help out these, these people. You guys have a lot, like you guys have a waiting list. Do. It just seems like a no brainer. If I was there, I would say, especially if I have a bigger house, Hey, yeah, here five years, knock yourself out. And you're the, as a landlord, that would, that would seem to be my experience is that it's so much easier than having tenants that leave every year. I think we'll be great tenants because our families want longevity, right? They don't want, two years, five years, they want 10, 15 years, right? So we are going to actually, um, interestingly, we've turned down a seller, a landlord, because he only wanted to rent to us for a year. And we said, no, uh, our minimum's five, and we want the option to renew or to purchase. And they said, we'll rent it to you for a year. And we said, no, thank you. Wow. Okay. So, so there's that side of yeah. it. So if you're interested in learning more about what these guys are doing and you want to do it in your neck of the woods, if you're in Washington state or you're in Nevada or whatever, and you say, Hey, you know what? Same situation. I have a, I have a relative, maybe it's a son, daughter, maybe it's a niece, nephew, maybe it's somebody that, you know, family that, you know, and you say they're in this situation, this is what I'd like to do. You guys have already done all the vetting out. You know, what kind of houses, you know, what the numbers look like. Will you be willing to help that individuals or those individuals if they reach out to you? Absolutely. Uh, Interesting. You mentioned that Um, about two weeks ago, a mom that's been following us for months, I thought being interested in our area, she actually lives in North Jersey and she wants mm-hmm. to hire us to consult with her to do what we're doing. Um, Perfect. Yeah. And, and you guys are a nonprofit. We're a nonprofit. Right? Like this, this isn't something you're like, hey, I got you know something up my sleeve. This is, I think we can all agree that when you've been personally affected by things that you tend to take the money out of the equation, but you know that there's a need. We still need yeah. those individuals who are well healed to go out there and put their money where their mouth is and say, Hey, I want to affect change. This is an easy way to do it. And it's still profitable. Yeah. Right. So, uh, and even if they're not interested in purchasing a house or doing any of that, um, you know, probably I think the stats are, you know, one in four people are disabled. So probably all of your listeners know at least someone yeah. Uh, who is either a caregiver of somebody with a disability or with that. And I mean, like we would always, always welcome any um, sponsoring yeah. of, of individuals um, that are going to be living with us. Any of that, we would be very, very appreciative of. Diane, I want to explore that for a second. So you can sponsor a family, right? You can go in there and you could say, you got 147 people right now that need housing. The families may not, they're not getting aid. Nope. They're not getting anything from anybody else. And we want to help transition them into a, a property. So you could either be the landlord, you could do that, you could just, but what if you just wanted to help and you said, you know what, I want to help one family. Can they do that with you guys? Can they sponsor? And and, and if so, is there a link I could put up? Is it, how, how do I learn about that? Jim is the master of the website and the links, so he'll have to give that to you. But absolutely, there is a way to do that. And our families would really appreciate it. You know, $2,400 might not sound like a lot of money, but it is a lot of money for a lot of people and to come up with that every month. Um, yeah, our, we would love to have a sponsorship program. 
Um, you know, anybody who sponsors an adult would, would hear from them, um, would definitely get updates, you know, all kinds of information, um, you know, and, and whatever information they would want to get, we could certainly make sure that that happens. So if you're a church, a group or something like that, and you say, hey, you know what? I want to sponsor some people in my community. I want to spend, sponsor a home. I could do it. I, any level, like 50 bucks a month, something like that, or all the way up to, hey, I could sponsor the house or that, hey, maybe you're a social worker or you're somebody with a state and you say, you know what? We could devote funds to this. All comers, could they all come in and, and, and help you guys out? Yeah, absolutely, Toby. On our website, uh, frontporchcohousing.org slash support slash sponsor, there's the opportunity to make a one-time donation of any amount, a monthly donation of any amount. And actually, the monthlies would be wonderful from that sponsorship standpoint. There's a $2,500 monthly option there, ironically, with our cost being $2,400. To sponsor an autistic adult, uh, so sponsoring someone for six months or twelve months would be would be a blessing. The other thing I don't want to I don't want to lose sight of as a nonprofit, um, you know, an IRS recognized nonprofit, we have the ability to accept uh, land if someone has a parcel of land that they no longer need, want, or looking for the tax de- deduction on that. We can take that land and then we'll use it to build more housing. We can also take any type of real estate, and those forms are on our website as well. The best way if someone has an interest is send it to Jim at frontporchcohousing.org, and I will answer any and all questions about sponsorship, buying a house, donating a house, donating land. We can take any motor vehicle uh, that people no longer need or want. We can take it, we can sell it, and those funds will go back to support our uh, our residents that need help. And so we're just doing, you guys are just doing everything you can mm-hmm. to actually create, hey, we're not just creating housing for neurodivergent adults. You're creating community with both neurodivergent adults and neurotypical regular folks so that we can address this issue. I just looked at your website, 4.5 million people in the United States are autistic. I know that it's increasing. Yep. Everybody can have whatever idea of why. Maybe it's just being diagnosed now. Maybe there's there's something that's more insidious, whatever the case. But we know it's an issue. And then here we have parents of their children, and they want to make sure that, like any parent, is what happens if I'm gone or not able to? What if I get sick? What if I just – it's got to just – it, it does it weigh on you guys? Is that something that's in the back of your heads that you're in? And is that what all these families are dealing with? Well, it certainly weighed on my mind and Nancy's mind when Michael graduated and we started looking for long term, lifelong housing for him. And in Pennsylvania, there is none. So, you know, the Diane said best case, uh, Nancy's sister would take Michael, but she's older than Nancy. So what happens? You know, you kick that proverbial can down the road as often as you can, and then you're left with an untenable situation. What do I do now? So we decided that we would take that bull by the horns and create it so that we didn't have to worry about it. And now I think it's just catching on like wildfire because every parent we talk to, what do I do when is the common theme across all 140 some families? And it's, it's, it's inevitable. Project, right. We all worry about it. We all worry about it. It just came together that we got together and we're yeah. able to, you know, 
work with all of these families to come up with a solution because, you know, it's very daunting to think about, you know, it happening on your own. So a lot of times you don't really think of, you know, Scarlett O'Hara, I'll think about that tomorrow, (laughs) Um, you know, but tomorrow eventually shows up. Yeah. Let's do it today. So uh, I want to say thank you guys for, for joining me today. Thank you. I get to talk to folks all the time and I'm a tax lawyer, right? So I have, um, I'm usually on the tax side and doing some asset protection. Every now and again, we touch on a topic that I think is really important that usually resonates with our folks. Like I, I'm always shocked at how many uh, people end up on our recovery housing and, and doing transitional housing for inmates and all that. There's a big group of people out there who have real estate and stuff and they realize that they don't want to just do monetarily well, but they want to do socially well. And this sounds like an opportunity for somebody to go into an area that has a definite need that's not being met at all. Like this is, I, until I met you guys, I'd never heard about this. I had run across once where I rented to an organization. And again, they were kind of like, Hey, we have a caregiver in there and yada, yada, yada. But I never really thought about it for two seconds until you guys made it clear. And I did not know how big an issue it is. I bet you that most people out there listening did not realize how large of an issue. And if it's an issue, it's an opportunity for us to solve. And if you want to be part of that solving, go to uh, frontporchcohousing.org. I'll put the link up. Yeah. I'll put all your guys' links up and I'll make sure that we're pointing it out. You know what? I just want to thank you guys both for coming in. Any last thoughts, anything else that you guys want to say before we're gone? Well, I think, Toby, one other thing, just to put this in perspective, if we had 20 homes today, 20 properties, we still wouldn't have enough in our neck of the woods. So, we go, you know, we're doing one, just gone under contract. And if we had 20, 20 places where families knew that they could have a safe, sustainable place for their child to have an inclusive, independent life, uh, we'd sell out in a heartbeat. It's just amazing how dramatic this issue is. I just want to say thank you so much, Toby, for having us on, because it is, um, you know, it's it's interesting that for such a big problem, there's not a lot of talk about it. So thank you very much. Yeah. And, and we really appreciate uh, you giving us a chance to talk about what we're doing. Hey, we're going to get the word out. And I, you know, if, if there's one thing I know, it only takes one or two good investors to say, you know what, this is something I want to address and I want to commit myself to. And, and you can see some pretty uh, amazing change. I always bring up Frank and Sherry and Michelle and some of these, some names, you guys probably know who I'm talking about, and Gene and his whole family, uh, rest his soul, Gene's gone what now, but his family's carrying on. And they're doing all these amazing things to help effectuate change. And it doesn't take that many people to have a huge impact. And so uh, I hope in, uh, in, in in five years, we're saying, hey, remember that time that uh, that you guys first came on and there's Diane and there's Jim. We, we were, hey, we made an issue aware. Yeah. And then you see something take off. And, and hopefully that uh, this is one of those occasions and we'll come back and we'll look at this and say, what an amazing thing you guys started. So thank you, Toby. Thank I'll you. do my part. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you. Bye. Happy holidays. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode. 